All right. So, um, guess what we're in today? Huh? Where? Where are we at? We're in numbers, so it's uh, it takes all the guesswork out, right? <laughs> as you uh, as you come to know refuge, we go line by line, chapter by chapter, book by book, and uh, and today is no different. We're in the book of Numbers now, and uh, so excited to get into uh, this book. I'm going to give you a little intro, a little um, just kind of overview um, of not only where we're going, but where we've been, and uh, I think it'll better prepare us for um, the text that we're going to, not only this evening, but for the remainder of our study in the book of Numbers. So let's, uh, before we do though, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer and we'll get into the book of Numbers. Father, we, uh, we certainly thank you, Lord, for how it is that as we look at the book of beginnings, Genesis, Lord, and that was some time ago that we were in the book of Genesis and studying it, how it is that, um, Lord, not only uh, did you create the heavens and the earth, Lord, but that was the beginning of mankind. And uh, Lord, we thank you for giving us um, that book of beginnings. As we go into Exodus, uh, we went through that and we saw how it was that you delivered your people. And then Leviticus, how it is that you set up the sacrificial law, uh, the way in which you have prescribed for mankind at that time to worship you. And, uh, and so, Lord, in many ways it parallels and it even as we know, foreshadows um, that which we have found to be the substance in Jesus Christ, whom we know today as Lord and Savior. And this evening, Father, I pray that you would bless our time as we go into the book of Numbers. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to see how it is that you, in an orderly way, brought your children together to not only escape bondage and slavery, but to prepare for the abundant life for the promised land. And so, Father, open our eyes to see, open our hearts to understand, and Lord, may you help us to put these things together in our own lives to bring you glory. And so we commit this evening into your hands, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, this evening, the title of the message is Preparing for Battle. Um, to begin with, we'll be taking a look at the first two chapters this evening uh, of, of Numbers. Um, two chapters detail the numbering of the tribes, placing them within the camp, organizing them, uh, giving them direction as far as the way in which not only they're going to camp, but the way in which they're going to march or advance, all in preparation to bring them into the promised land. God is doing with them this very special thing. And I know that it doesn't sound like a very special thing when we talk about being organized, how it is that we're going to number and find out exactly what resources the Israelites have. But those, those are all exciting things because what it speaks of is a preparation for them going into, again, the promised land to advance. But for now, I want to give you a little background of the book of Numbers. Looking back over the book of Exodus, we're reminded that God did indeed deliver Israel from slavery under Egyptian rule. God, as we've come to know, miraculously set them free after having been in bondage for over 400 years. Uh, the Israelites made it through uh, what God parted, and that was the Red Sea as they entered into the wilderness, and then God provided for them in every way. Um, food, water, they even complained, they murmured, and he gave them an abundance of quail. And so he, he did everything for them. He didn't only deliver them from bondage, but he also brought them into the wilderness, away from Egypt. God appeared to the Israelites in amazing ways. Primarily, as we just studied, how he appeared to them, how he revealed himself to them, on Mount Sinai, and he gave them the law. As Moses went up to meet with God, he received the law and at that point delivered it unto the Israelites themselves. But it wasn't without trouble. 
We know we came across several things, idolatry, idolatry. was one. We know that the, the, the one that really sticks out is that situation where they made for themselves selves a calf and worshipped it. Uh, but they were corrected, as we saw, quickly by the Lord. So it wasn't something that, that endured for a long time. The Lord quickly came and took care of that situation. Uh, we saw the tabernacle. It was at Mount Sinai that Moses was given instructions on the building of the tabernacle and the establishment of the priesthood. The book of Leviticus covered one month. That's all it was, one month. The book of Exodus covered one whole year. And so we are, here we are in the second year, the second month, as the Israelites were having, having been delivered from bondage from Egypt, and now we're going into the book of Numbers. Now, the book of Numbers, guess how many years it covers? Any guesses? You can throw them out there. Two, three? You can guess, really. It's 30, 38, over 38 years. So that's what we're going to go into. So one year Exodus, one month for Leviticus, and now we're going into 38 years in the book of Numbers. At this point, Israel's been out of Egypt for a little over a year. This is the third book that Moses wrote, and the title itself gives you the indication of the theme of the book as far as we're concerned, Numbers, right? But in Hebrew, it's interesting. In Hebrews, the book is titled something else. It's titled In the Wilderness. And that's a very important aspect, something that we need to come to realize as far as the book isn't just about coming together and numbering and taking the census. We're going to see how it is that God organized the Israelites in the first 10 chapters. Yes, but it's more than that. You see, God's intention was never for Israel to get to the wilderness and stay there. God's intention was for Israel to go through the wilderness into the promised land. The land that we also know as being Canaan. Now, the wilderness was only supposed to be something temporary, a land that in many ways prepared the people of God for living in the promised land. In the wilderness, they were to have just enough. Just enough to survive on. It's a place where there is little vegetation. It's not like um, uh, the wilderness, uh, perhaps, that we would um, think of as far as a desert is concerned. It wasn't um, quite as arid as that, but it had a little vegetation. It had a little shade. It had a little rainfall. In other words, in the wilderness, it was all about just having just enough. Just enough. So we think about this. Yes, God delivered the Israelites out of slavery. But do you think that, that the people were in any way, shape, or form prepared to receive the promised land itself? They may have, but apparently God didn't think so. They weren't prepared to go into the promised land. Spiritually speaking, sometimes people make the mistake of saying that the promised land is much like what we would know to be as heaven. Well, in heaven there will be no battles, there will be no enemies to conquer. The promised land is more like, for a Christian, the abundant life. We're going to be talking about that and how it is that as we look at this book and how it is that they're preparing for the promised land, that it's much like you and I going into the wilderness and how it is that God prepares us for that abundant life in Him. And yet, if we experience all of the abundance of Christ all at one time, many times we wouldn't know how to act. And I see, I see that. I'm sure you see that in some Christians, how it is that they do come into that abundant life after having been delivered from slavery, bondage, and sin, and they don't know how to act. They, they take it all, and it's this liberty and this freedom that, it's, that is actually used for themselves and not for the glory of God. It brings to mind faithful in the little things. We know more to come. As God tells us, faithful in little things, greater things come. We're given stewardship of more. Faithless in the little things, 
nothing else comes. Just more of the same. More of the same lessons over and over uh, again. You know, uh, the children of Israel, the Israelites, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, the trip actually should have taken, what I believe it's like 11 days or something like that from where they were to going into the land of Canaan. But they went around and around for 40 years, right? Sometimes we feel like that in our lives, no? We feel like sometimes we're like, okay, haven't we been here before? And, you know, and we're going around and around. But, you know, it's by God's grace. It's actually God's mercy that he brings you through and he has you in that place to where you just have enough. And what he's calling us to do is to just trust in him. Tr- learn to trust in me. Lean on me. Cling to me. Hold on with everything you have and I'll bring you through. What's interesting is that I was thinking about this. The Israelites, they went around and around for 40 years, right? And, and for them, it's just more, it was more lessons over time. And I'm thinking, well, God has plenty of it. So it really, if you think about it, spiritually speaking, it, it has to do with us and our response to certain things. You know, as we're going round and round, sometimes we need to realize that, um, it, perhaps I should respond differently at this point. You guys know what I'm talking about? I know in my own life, I'm a knucklehead. I, I can be hard-hearted, you know, with certain things, hard-headed. And then I realize that, man, I have not learned my lesson with this. I need to respond differently. Whether it be in my relationship, in my marriage, whether it be with my children, whether it be with my friends, whether it be with people that I'm serving with here within the church. You see, the work of, work of sanctification is ongoing. And sometimes we need to be brought back into the wilderness to learn that and then go into being uh, more at peace with the Lord and, and having that, enjoying that abundant life. Do you guys want to enjoy abundant life in Christ? I, I certainly do. And so God has plenty of time We just need to make the best use of our time and then pay attention to heed his word. The book of Numbers is God preparing his people for the promised land. But remember, they got there through the miracle of God's deliverance. That is, they got into the wilderness through the deliverance of God. That miracle that he performed over and over. The wilderness is a place that is used by God's design. But again, is preparatory and intended to be temporary. It was not Israel's final destination. Now again, the first 10 chapters covers how God organized Israel, as I said earlier, for the journey into the promised land from Mount Sinai. So God answers the big question. You know, with God, we, we, can, answer the, we, can, we can ask the big question, so where are we going? Have you ever asked that question? Where are we going? What are we doing? What's the purpose of this? And really, the bottom line, the purpose of our lives is to bring glory to God. Where the Israelites were going, he answered very clearly, we're going into the promised land. We're going to Canaan. That is the land that I have set aside for you to occupy. But it won't be easy. For us, we can say, this life in many ways is a combination of both wilderness and and promised land experience. Both lessons, but also the abundant life. So for the Christian, it's a little bit of both. Because even the Apostle Paul said, hey, listen, I haven't arrived. Right? And none of us do at any, at any given time. We, we have not arrived. With that answer for the Israelites or that question answered for the Israelites, God then begins to organize the people. He works to develop within them the qualities that must exist in order to occupy the promised land and bring people from a slave mentality to a free mentality. And that takes a godly transformation. A work that God performs in a person from the inside out. Our mistake is that we're always trying to do it from the outside in. I'll change this behavior. Um, 
all kinds of things on the outside. When God just simply says, hey, listen, surrender to me. Allow me to do the work from the inside out. It's by my spirit, not by your strength, not by your power, not by your might. But it's with a complete surrender. And he's doing this work. When people experience freedom for the first time after they've been enslaved for a number of years, the inclination of a man, the inclination of the flesh is to go a hundred different ways. And it's interesting that God delivered Israel from under their taskmasters, the Egyptians. But then almost immediately gave them a set of rules. The law. The reason this would be bothersome to to them is because they didn't understand their freedom in God. They had to submit to the rules of the Egyptians or else. Right? They knew that. It was difficult for them. Not that they were commanded to submit to the law of God, but what they had to learn is really perfect confidence that God had their best interest at heart, whereas they knew very well that the Egyptians did not. God had already demonstrated his love toward them. He was merciful toward them. He was graceful toward them. He delivered them. And so he was already proving, he had already proven to them over and over and over again that he had their best interest at heart. And so they received these these laws. And now they were being organized to set out and go into the promised land and to occupy it. First John chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, our faith. And that's what the world doesn't understand, though. We've been delivered from the rule of sin and death. We no longer have to fear either one. And yet the world doesn't understand, oh, but you're, you're living by a whole other set of rules. Man, I'd hate to be you. They don't, they don't understand. We, we've, been, we've been victorious in Christ over sin and death. We now have the certain hope of forever being in the presence of of our Lord. And what we do is not burdensome. And the way we respond to that love is by obeying the commandments of our free will, of our choice. That's the way we do it. We are at liberty to not do those things that we used to do. Again, the title of, of tonight's message has a double meaning. Preparing for battle, or the other title that I was going to give is taking inventory. And here it is that, as we see tonight, the Lord commands Israel to take inventory for the sake of Israel, that they may come to know the people resources that they had at their disposal what they had to work with in battle and advancing to and, and, and advancing to and within the promised land. You see, the battles didn't end as soon as they entered the promised land. In fact, that's when they would begin and they would intensify. But it's also taking inventory spiritually. Again, the promised land is not a parallel to heaven, but the abundant life lived as a Christian. It is knowing how to handle what God has promised us as believers and we actually possess as believers. Occupying that abundant life, fully glorifying the Lord by successfully navigating and stewarding what God has entrusted to us. It's engaging the enemy with full understanding and also learning how to enjoy victory after victory, even though the battles are difficult. You see, we fight from ultimate victory. It's not for the victory. It's not to gain salvation. It's not to gain uh, being God's good, good graces. It's, it's not for any of that. 
It's just out of obedience, and it's from victory. So it's a wonderful book. Let's get into Numbers chapter 1. And we're going to see the reason for the numbering right at the beginning here. Verse 1, The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month, in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male, head by head, from 20 years old and upward, all in Israel who are able to go to war, you and Aaron shall list them, company by company. So this is the purpose, this is the reason that God is giving for the numbering. And we see that in verse 3. It was not every person that was numbered. That wasn't the command that the Lord had given, but only those who were men of the age of 20 and older, men who were able to go to war. These are the ones that God gave the command to number. And this numbering of these men were to be reported back to Moses. And Moses and Aaron were to list them They were to create a record of these men. We want to think for a moment what was going on here. Because the Lord was preparing them for battle. You know, it would have been great that, you know, the Lord having delivered them, that he would have said, you know, don't worry about it. You know, we're going into the promised land. I'm going to fight um, for you in in every sense of the word. And uh, you don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to fight. It's just going to be handed to you. But he didn't do that. He's preparing them for battle. The focus initially was getting out of Egypt. And on Mount Sinai, the focus was receiving the law of God. And now the focus is turned toward advancing toward the promised land. But with that, there is this awareness that there will be battles to be experienced. There is now a growing anticipation. God may have delivered them out of bondage without war, but now the advancement would involve that very thing. Many battles. And so taking inventory allowed Israel to acknowledge exactly who they had to work with. They were to be organized and numbered by tribe and even by individual family. You see, the strength of Israel was determined by the strength of the individual family. Much like it is today. The the strength of the church is determined by the strength of the individual family. As the families are strong together and coming together, then, man, we grow in strength. This, by the way, is a family. The church is what I'm referring to. The strength of the the church, the universal church, is only as strong as the local family, as we grow. And that's why I I tell you, hey, listen, we need need to continue to grow as a family. We need to continue to be disciplined as a family. We need to focus on the Word of God as a family. We need to love on each other as a family. We need to demonstrate God's grace towards each other as a family. Because this is a family. Now, this, by the way, did not imply that Israel was to rely on their numbers and the courage of the men. But to know who would fight with the Lord and get organized with order amongst its ranks. And so that's really important. You know, sometimes we do, we, we get to a place to where you feel strong and you want to go out. And our first mistake is to rely on the flesh and not on the Lord. When we think it's all about, wow, we're really good now. We've got it all together. That was, that, that was our first mistake. We should always, instead of be inclined to lean, to trust in the Lord and know that really we're, we're fighting with him. He is the commander. We are simply soldiers in the Lord's army. And we're moving and advancing along with him. 
Then we have the assigning of the heads of the tribes. Verse 4 continues, And there shall be with you a man from each tribe, each man being the head of the house of his fathers. And these are the names of the men who shall assist you, from Reuben, Elizur, the son of Shedur, 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 Shedur. (laughs) Oh man, these names. Uh, From Simeon, Shulamiel, the son of Zerushadai. Zerushadai. From Judah, Nashon, the son of Aminadab. From Issachar, Nathaniel, the son of Zuar. From Zebulun, Eliab, the son of Helon. From the sons of Joseph, from Ephraim, Elishama, the son of Amiud. And from Manasseh, Gamaliel, the son of Padazer. And from Benjamin, Abidin, the son of Gideoni. From Dan, Ahiazer, the son of Amishadai. From Asher, Pagael, the son of Akron. From Gad, Eliasaph, the son of Duel. From Naphtali, Ahira, the son of Enon. These were the ones chosen from the congregation, the chiefs of their ancestral tribes, the heads of the clans of Israel. So we have the assigning of the heads of the tribes. These leaders of the tribes were chosen. They, des- they were described, as we see here, as chiefs or as heads of their ancestral tribes and the clans of Israel. They were, as we could understand them, these were men who served as representatives, as liaisons for and to the tribes in both directions. They served under Moses and Aaron, but they also served over their tribes. Knowing that Levi, also, you know, as we looked here, was not mentioned and counted, we do have two sons of Joseph. So if we didn't mention Levi, then we would be down to 11, right? But since we really don't count Levi, and let's say we don't count Joseph in a sense, we do have Ephraim and Manasseh that takes their place. And we'll go through that as we go through the numbering or the census of the tribes. Remember, again, that this was a military census that was taken and the tribe of Levi would not have been counted. Why? Because their divine assignment... Uh, was initiated and was established by God. So we'll touch on that a little bit later. Now, we're not going to go through and actually read all of these, but we're going to um, understand that this is, well, as we go into the numbering of the tribes, we're going to see here the the, uh, general statement in regards to the call to assemble of the tribes in the next few verses here, but we also have the numbering of the tribes. We're just going to call them off the different tribes, and the number that they had within each one. So number 17 through 19, uh, chapter 1, verses 17 through 19, says, Moses and Aaron took these men who had been named, and on the first day of the second month they assembled the whole congregation together who registered themselves by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, head by head, as the Lord commanded Moses. So he listed them, in the wilderness of Sinai. So this is, again, a general statement. The the, the call to assemble that God gave to the Israelites. The actual arrangement of the tribes is given in great detail, or in greater detail in chapter 2. This was, by the way, the first assignment that was given to the chiefs of the tribes to fulfill the listing and reporting of the tribes to Moses and Aaron. So that, that was their, their, the first thing that they were given to do. They were assigned, then they were told, go number, bring us the list of names. And by the way, this list, of na- this list is not just a number. This isn't just, hey, this is what we have here. It was a detailed listing of all the names of all the men within their tribes of the age of 20 and older. God is into the details. He's into being organized and orderly. We serve a God of order. And we see that as he's commanding this to take place. So let's see here. Verses 20 through 43. This is basically 
uh, a listing, again, of the tribes and their numbers. So for the tribe of Reuben, the report came in, 46,500. For the tribe of Simeon, the report came in, 59,300. For the tribe of Gad, 45,650. For the tribe of Judah, 74,600. Issachar, 54,400. For Zebulun, 57,400. For Ephraim, which is the son of Joseph, 40,500. For Manasseh, also a son of Joseph, 32,200. For Benjamin, 35,400. Dan, 62,700. Asher, 41,500. And Naphtali, 53,400. Let's go into the summary. So is the total... Verse 44 said, said, says, These are those who were listed, whom Moses and Aaron listed with the help of the chiefs of Israel, twelve men, each representing his father's house. So all those listed of the people of Israel by their father's houses, from twenty years old and upward, every man able to go to war in Israel, all those listed were 603,550. A lot of men. That's a pretty strong army. These were the men who were accounted for. This was, by the way, the first census. The, uh, there will be another census at the end of 38 years. It, it, won't, it doesn't vary that much. Uh, by a couple thousand or so, they are, I believe, under. But the numbers, as far as the individual tribes are concerned, um, they, they will vary after 38 years. But these are the numbers initially. And in total, it is estimated that overall, the number of Israelites were from two to two and a half million. We're talking about these men who were 20 and um, older, women, children, all of them in total, over two million. It's a lot of people. God delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh and brought them into the wilderness. Now, the Levites were exempt from this count. Again, we understand that they were divinely assigned by the Lord for a special special purpose. Let's continue on, verse 47. But the Levites were not listed along with them by their ancestral tribe. For the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not list, and you shall not take a census of them among the people of Israel. But appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony and over all its furnishings and over all that belongs to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. And they shall take care of it and shall camp around the tabernacle. When the tabernacle is to set out, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. And if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. The people of Israel shall pitch their tents by their companies, each man in his own camp and each man by his own standard. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, so that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the people of Israel. And the Levites shall keep guard over the tabernacle of the testimony. Thus did the people of Israel. They did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they were obedient. Right? They did everything that the Lord had commanded them. But as we see here, the Levites were exempt from this numbering, this census that they were commanded to take. You see, the Levites had been assigned by God to specifically serve Him in their priestly duties in the tabernacle, as were listed when we've gone over previously in the book of Leviticus. All of those things they were responsible for, they were to steward as not only representatives of God to the people, but also as representatives of the people to God. They were the people that were assigned for that special purpose by God. The setting up, the breaking down of the tabernacle, all of the maintenance of the utensils and the furniture was to be taken care of by them. 
as well as the inspection of the sacrifices to make sure that they met the standard. And, by the way, the performance of the, of the sacrifices. All of that, it was their responsibility to take care of. And it's amazing. God, God is into counting. To let us know that He's a personal God who knows everything, all the little details. He knows the numbers of the hairs on top of your head. He knows each star that he's created. And by the way, do you know that he's, he's named each one? He knows even how many grains of sand are in existence throughout the world. All of those things are beyond our comprehension, yet he has everything arranged. Nothing is unarranged. Everything is orderly before God. He holds everything together. If at any point God were to release his hand from creation, it would all fall apart. We have a master designer. And he's into the details. He's into all of that. Sometimes we think that God works in chaos. That by he works in whims and you know all of these things. And, and it's not like that. He can move in ways in which we may interpret to be whims, but they're not whims. They're calculated. Just think about how it is that one situation, one situation, sometimes we think, what is God teaching me in this situation? What is he doing in this? And what's amazing is that he's not only working in your relationship or, or in that situation for your sake, but for other people's sake as well. Those are details. This is a God of details. This is a God of order. And it amazes me how it is that if we pay attention to all of those little things, he's not just working in our lives, but he's working in so many other lives at the same time. Nothing is unarranged with him. Everything is arranged. Now, even though the Israelites or I'm sorry, the Levites were not counted. They had already been assigned here. It, that was ordered by God. And they were given directions. They were given commands to perform the work that God had given them to do. Now let's go into chapter 2. And this is the command to actually assemble. Verse 1 of chapter 2. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, The people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard, with the banners of their fathers' houses. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. So here we have the command by God to assemble. And the tribes will assemble in a specific direction. Not only will they encamp by their tribes, but in a specific order, in a specific direction, and facing a specific way. <laughs> Again, he knows the names, he's assigning positions, even placement. All of those things is being commanded by God to do. Each tribe will face the tabernacle when they assemble, and each tribe will be identified by tribes and families, and standards will come to know what standards are. They will all encamp around the presence of God if you will, because they're all encamping around the tabernacle and they will face him. Now the tribes to the east, east, verse 3. Those to camp on the east side toward the sunrise shall be of the standard of the camp of Judah by their companies. The chief of the people of Judah being Nashon, the son of Amminadab, his company is listed as being 74,600. Those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar. The chief, chief of the people of Issachar being Nathanael, the son of Zuar, his company as listed being 54,400. Then the tribe of Zebulun, the chief of the people of Zebulun being Eliab, the son of Helon, his company as listed being 57,400. All those listed of the camp of Judah by their companies were 186,400. 
they shall set out first on the march. Oh, so then now God is giving even the order of the march. So the standard of Judah, which includes three tribes, is going to march first. So we have the banner of Judah. Uh, banner, there's a, there's a flag that would be carried, not as we would think, but, but a, a banner that is held high. And it was the banner of Judah, which was the banner of the lion. The Lion of Judah, which included Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. In total, there were 186,400 between these three tribes that were a part of this eastern uh, part or portion of the Lord's army as they advanced. There were assigned leaders. This assumes that leadership is designed and ordered by God. And a good stewardship of it will always assume someone to follow through with taking point or the front position. Sometimes, the, you know, there's assigned leadership. And what we need to understand is that all, all of them are, they're known by God. They're assigned by God. I know that we say that, okay, so pastors are ordained, ordained by God. But there are places, there are positions within the church that are, that are very important. And I believe that even those are ordained by God. I don't take any of them lightly. And I believe that every person who is in that place of influence, who has any influence over any number of people, and they are that person's responsibility is ultimately ordained by God and not to be taken lightly. They are to take that position in the front, point, if you will. And the Lord said, they shall set out first on the march. And so it is, as God said, leaders are recognized by God and thus are to be recognized by the people and are to be respected by the people as the leaders submit to the command of God. So the leaders submit to the command of God and to respect and submit to them is to actually submit and serve the Lord. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. And so this is something that we see as, as the Lord is putting all of this together and bringing order to it all. We also see the assigning of leadership within the standards. And again, I believe it's a beautiful assembling of God's people. There's order to it. Hey, listen, when the commander of the Lord's army, which he would set out for them, he would set out this this pillar of fire by night, this pillar of cloud by day. And he was the commander. As soon as he lifted and he was moving forward, asked no questions. They all got up, wrapped things up, and they advanced just as the Lord led them. But within there, within that camp, there were those leaders that would call out, that would point out, you know, as the Apostle Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The, the thing that he was getting at is, hey, follow me. Come with me as I follow Christ. That's what he was saying. A good leader within the church will always say that. Hey, come follow me. Come with me. I so desire that you come with me. That you follow where God is leading. That's really... All we're to do as leaders within the church is just point to, to the Lord. Just to point. For everyone, though, fortunately and unfortunately, we, we also have this thing called free will. <laughs> we have choice. And we can either follow or not follow. Now, here's the other part of it, is that assigned leadership also assumes that you're willing to lead. Sometimes we take that and we falter on it. 
And so we need to also, as leadership, and I'm speaking to myself, okay? I need to be very close to the Lord in listening to Him. At the same time, understanding that He may be also speaking to me through you. You understand what I'm saying? There's, there's, a, there's a sense of humility that needs to come upon the, the person who is taking that, that lead position. If you never listen to what it is that people are sometimes warning you, warning you of, you're, you're in great peril as a leader. And you're in great danger of allowing pride to overcome you. So those are all the things. There's these leaders that have been ordained within this body right here. And God is ordering it. He's organizing it. It's a beautiful thing. But it's dynamic as well. They need to stay close to the Lord and really look to Moses and Aaron. They need to look to see how it is that the Lord's leading and be willing to advance and lead the people. So God set up this order within Israel. And because it was that God had set up this order within Israel, it was his army. And it was to move as an orderly army and not a chaotic mob. Then the tribes to the south, verse 10, On the south side shall be the standard of the camp of Reuben by their companies, the chief of the people of Reuben, being Eliezer, the son of Shedeur, his company as listed being 46,500. And those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Simeon, the chief of the people of Simeon, being Shalumiel, the son of Zerushadai, his company as listed being 59,300. Then the tribe of Gad, the chief of the people of Gad being Eliasaph, the son of Ruel, his company as listed being 45,650. All those listed of the camp of Reuben by their companies were 151,450. They shall set out second. So the, tri- the tribes to the south, uh, this was the standard that followed the banner of Reuben. Reuben being closest to the tabernacle. So we have Reuben, we have Judah. But within the banner or the standard of Reuben was Simeon and Gad. The banner of Reuben was man. So we have the lion, we have man. In total, there were 151,450 between all three tribes. They shall set out second. So we have point, and we have that which follows the standard of Reuben to the south. All right, so the tribe in the middle... There's one tribe, verse 17. Then the tent of meeting shall set out with the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camps. As they camp, so shall they set out, each in position, standard by standard. So this one verse right here, right in the middle, is for the Levites to stay as they march, as they advance. They are to stay closest to the tabernacle and guard it. As we saw at the end of of chapter 1, it was their responsibility to even guard it. You know, they were that cushion. They were, again, representatives of God to the people and representatives of the people to God. And so God was giving the order to the manner in which Israel was to march and battle and occupy the promised land. And it was in this manner. All right, let's look at the tribes to the west. Verse 18. On the west side shall be the standard of the camp of Ephraim by their companies, the chief of the people of Ephraim, being Elishama, the son of uh, Amayud, his company as listed being 40,500, 40, and next to him shall be the tribe of Manasseh, the chief of the people of Manasseh being Gamaliel, the son of Padazer, his company as listed being 32,200. Then the tribe of Benjamin, the chief of the people of Benjamin being uh, uh, Biden, the son of Gideonai, his company as listed being 35,400. All those listed of the camp of Ephraim by their companies were 108,100. They shall set out third on the march. So this standard. So, so far we've had two standards. This third standard is that of Ephraim or the banner of Ephraim, which included Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. The banner of Ephraim was the calf also known as the banner of the ox. In total, there were 108,100 between all three tribes, and they shall set out third on the march. Let's look at the tribes to the north. 
verse 25, on the north side shall be the standard of the camp of Dan by their companies. The chief of the people of Dan being Ahiazer, the son of Amishadai, his company is listed being 62,700, and those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Asher, the chief of the people of Asher being Pagael, the son of Akron. His company is listed being 41,500. Then the tribe of Nephtali, the chief of the people of Nephtali, being Ahira, the son of Enon. His company is listed being 53,400. All those listed of the camp of Dan were 157,600. They shall set out last, standard by standard. All right, so these were the tribes to the north. Again, talking about the standard, this was the standard of Dan, the banner being that of the eagle. So we have in this standard, Dan, Asher, Naphtali, Dan being the closest to the tabernacle, and those are the ones to the north. So now we have the north, south, west, and east all covered. In total, in this standard of Dan was 157,600 between all three tribes. And the Lord said, they shall set out last, standard by standard. And in summary of this chapter, verse 32 says, these are the people of Israel as listed by their father's houses. All those listed in the camps by their companies were 603,550. But the Levites were not listed among the people of Israel as the Lord commanded Moses. Thus did the people of Israel, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so they, and so they camped by their standards, and so they set out, each one in his clan, according to his father's house. So 603,550, that, that was the total number of men of the age of 20 and older, broken down by camp, by standard, by family, by position, and even by marching order. Whether they set up camp or broke it down and moved, they were to remain in the order that God had commanded. Again, we serve a God of order. He assigns and moves through an assembly of people who are orderly. Now, in thinking about this, you know, sometimes we, um, we feel like we're spiritually in disorder, right? But what we need to understand that a, a spiritually ordered life is not necessarily the requirement for progress in the, in the Christian life. You know, it's like if we get all our ducks in a row, then that in and of itself would mean that we would progress in the Christian life. Well, it's actually the other way around. The very thing that is the progress of the Christian life is being spiritually ordered. Because being spiritually ordered, as we see here, as God brought everything together, no? He, he had everything in its place. At least he commanded it to be in its place. We know that he holds everything together. He created all things so as we come closer to the Lord, as we understand who He is in our lives and Him doing a work in our lives, what happens is that we become spiritually ordered. And again, it's His work. It's not our work. It's His work that we're allowing to do in our lives. And it brings us to that place to where as we grow in our maturity in Christ, as we come to being complete in Him, we become a bit more spiritually ordered. So this is how the people were to be prepared by God. For what? What was he preparing them for? He's preparing them for battle. He's bringing them together and making sure that they were organized, that there was some leadership established within the standards, within his people. From Moses and Aaron to the tribal leaders to even leaders within. All together. But he was preparing in that order for occupying the promised land. For doing battle is what he was preparing him for. Part of this readiness is this orderly formation and their willingness to march or advance. 
It wasn't just to bring them all together and go, wow, that looks beautiful. By the way, if there was a helicopter that could fly over them, it would look like a cross. Do you realize that? That's great. I love that picture. And I don't want to diminish that in any way, shape, or form. But really, the power is in the cross, okay? The blood that was shed there. But what they were to do is they were to move. They were to act. It wasn't just a, let's all assemble in this formation and stay there. This is wonderful. These people were being prepared to move through the wilderness and into the promised land. And by the way, in the promised land, continue to advance and conquer and occupy. That's what they were designed to do. So it was all for a purpose. It was was to act. In closing, I, I just want to say a few words here. Remember what I said at the beginning, that God assembled Israel in the wilderness. He fed them in the wilderness. He gave them the law in the wilderness. But again, this was not intended to be their destination. This was all to prepare them to occupy the promised land. So the question is, what is God doing in your life today? Perhaps in this season... We need to ask the question, you know, is he providing just enough? Well, there's a purpose to that. There's definitely a reason if, if he's just um, providing for you just enough. Because it's in order for you to learn how to trust in the Lord. As he assembles you within the family, and I'm speaking of right here, this church, this is your family. As he's assembling you... And I'm just going to tell you, it's not to just look pretty cool from 10,000 feet. It's as he's assembling you, it's to advance the gospel. It's to advance in whatever place he has you. And I don't know what that place is for you. But let me tell you one thing. That one of the things that we did at the very beginning of this church is to make sure that whatever calling God has on your life, that we encourage you greatly, that we prepare you deeply, and we cheer when God sends you to do whatever it is that he asks for you to do. Because it's a move of the Spirit. Remember, as he's assembling, it's his army. It's not mine. It's not anyone else's. It's his. That's why we rejoice with you. It's a wonderful work that he's doing. But it's, it, faith it requires action. Faith without works is, as I say over and over again, is dead. It's worthless. We need to move. Remember that it is in this place that God is with you. Perhaps if it is in the wilderness, rejoice in that. He's preparing you to learn how to live apart from bondage and in the abundant Christian life in Christ so that you would know what to do with the liberty and freedom that you have in Christ to live a spiritually ordered life that moves with God in the center of it all and as the commander of the Lord's army or the Lion of Judah leading God in the midst of it all the Lion of Judah leading leading follow him let's follow him it's exciting because we don't know exactly in specifics, you know, where we go sometimes from month to month, year to year. But it's exciting because anywhere with God is better than where we are, isn't it? Let's pray. <clears throat> oh, Lord, we, um, we thank you, Lord. Oh, there is... Um, there's a peace and there's rest when we pay attention to those details that you've called us to see and to apply to our own lives. Those details of um, 
of being orderly, yes, in our own lives spiritually, but also within the church. And, and Lord, it's all to your glory. I pray that you would help us to understand that call, that uh, position, that place that we have not only within our own families or within our own place of employment, but also within our church. Lord, that we wouldn't be fearful of stepping out and taking action, demonstrating to you that we trust you, we love you, we have faith in you, and we know that we're simply following you. Help us to bless you. Help us to honor you. Help us to follow you wherever you go. I pray that we would be willing, that we would be submitted to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.